Forgotten Flicks, episode 118, Into the Night, 1985. I do not trust your plan. Well, I think it's a very good plan. Come on, time's running out. Escrow's closing. Did Jack Caper tell you that? The, yes, that's right. I'm Jack's son. His son? Illegitimate, but someday it'll all be mine. You and I might be doing business, going out to lunch. No, all right, okay, fine. I'll, I'll tell you the truth. Diana's CIA, I'm on Her Majesty's Secret Service. We've got the place surrounded. I'm really from immigration. We thought you might have some illegal aliens working around here. What are you playing at? I apologize, I've been lying. I'm actually the chairman of the committee to re-elect the president, so I was hoping for a substantial contribution. You are mad. No, you don't know what to believe, do you? Look, either you've already lost everything, or you have to take a chance on me. Neither of us have much to lose. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Forgotten Flicks podcast, the podcast where we remember the movies you grew up with and some you probably didn't know existed and probably won't even believe they existed even after we talk about them for an hour and a half. But I digress. I am Joel, your humble host servant, and I am joined as always by the other host servant who may or may not be attached to me at the navel jason um, I, I don't remember agreeing to play a game called servant and servant here so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would you would you what would you prefer uh, I, I, I love that. That's I what you. The fifth. <laughs> I, I, I was gonna say. I love that you focus on that issue and not the idea of us being connected at the navel. Uh, yeah, that doesn't bother me. Okay. Right? Well. Okay. Good. So yes, <laughs> we are of course going to be discussing in this particular episode the fine classic of the cinema, <laughs> Into the Night from 1985, Jason's favorite year, as we all know. Yes. Yes, but, it is. But is that enough that we're doing? This movie that honestly all the fans have been clamoring for. <laughs> Sorry, straight face, straight face, straight face. <laughs> but that we are joined by none other, and those of you who know him, you love him, Mr. Batchelder. <laughs> yes, Kevin Batchelder. <sighs> hold on, wait, actually, hold on, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You're welcome. And in, uh, rain it, or something? It, it really <laughs> supposed to be a crowd cheering, but good point. It sounds like a typical Florida <laughs> afternoon thunderstorm. <laughs> and to go in line with the French thing, Jason, just for you. Pardon my French, but you're an asshole. <laughs> so there's that. Hey. Uh, so welcome to the show, Kevin. Wel- welcome back. Uh, your dreams yes. were your ticket out. <laughs> then you answered the email yep. and said, yes, you dumb son of a... What? <laughs> So yeah, like a boomerang, try to throw me away, but I keep coming back. Ah, you are a masochist, but that's why we love you, Kevin. And of course, you are here for a specific reason. Despite what the court order says, you chose (laughs) to get at least verbally within 100 feet of our verbal diarrhea. And and the reason why, Kevin, do you want to tell the people why you're here tonight specifically? 
You really have no do idea, I, do you? Do, do I have to? <laughs> yes, I, I think it should come from you. Uh, well, because maybe I was the crazy son of a gun who recommended this film to you guys? That is why, because we figured why suffer alone when That's you right. can suffer with a friend. That is the, the podcasting mantra. You it know, really you bring is. up an it, idea, you own it, dude. Yeah, it's yours, buddy. It's yours. No, uh, of course, Kevin had been bugging, bugging, I mean, I mean, suggesting for, nay, years, years perhaps, that we cover this particular movie. Now, when one goes to seek out a movie, one typically can find a movie. Of course, as Kevin pointed out, why the hell I don't have the DVD plan on Netflix. He has no idea because apparently it was available there, but through all other means and channels, including some borderline nefarious ones, it was not available. So, well, and you know, to be fair, there are actually quite a few movies that we've looked for that even on DVD are very difficult to find. Oh um, yeah. I think I did hear trying to buy some and it's been hard unless you find like a really expensive, overly priced copy. Yes, exactly. And, and I, we talked about this before, Jason, but I read somewhere, and Kevin, you may know this stat, there's something like 40 plus percent of all content that was generated on VHS has never been transferred to DVD. Now, I'm sure that includes things like, you know, Grandma Ethel's Jazzercise and, you know, You Can Yo-Yo 2 how-to videos, things like that. But there's a lot of movies there as well, I'm sure. Yeah. So... Yeah, no, that whole rights thing and, and all that stuff that drives us fans nutty is sometimes makes it hard. Yeah, like uh, Married with Children's theme song, Don't Even Get Me Started. Oh, let's not talk about replacement uh, music, please. Uh, uh, we're going to go down the WKRP Cincinnati. Uh, they, they altered that? Hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they did for real? The WKRP in Cincinnati? They, did, they changed the theme song? <laughs> No, 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 not the theme song, but all the music that was in the original episode. Oh, Doctor Johnny yes. Fever would play. And so, everything. what do they play now? Oh, they get some other crap that gets put in there. Although I heard they've now relicensed it and it's coming out again, and this time it's not going to be. Do you think this up. is a conspiracy? I think this is a conspiracy. <laughs> they get us all ginned up. You buy the oh, it's coming out finally. Oh, what the hell is this? You're all angry, and then come out with something good. Sort of like now we've got the rights. Exactly. You got to buy the new one. I, yeah, I, this is my theory. Yeah. That's what's happened with Star Wars. The oh, prequels no. were now all a hole. setup. No, no, I promise I will not go down this uh, rabbit hole. I'm just saying the prequels uh, were a setup to really bring now. us down Sigh. because they knew uh, episode seven was going to happen. Uh, and then now we're all like, yay, old Han, Luke and Leia. Just so we're clear, I'm excited. Yay. But it, there's nowhere to go but up. That's all I'm saying. I think if they did that with WKRP in Cincinnati, all the music should be the same type of music that... Adrian Barbeau's character plays in the fog as the radio host. That sort of nondescript seventies jazz music. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That you can't you've never heard before, but yet it somehow you buy that you it's coming out of a reason. What's yeah. that? Yeah, and the type you hope you never hear again. Well, <laughs> but but to be fair, Adrian Barbeau was the one spinning the records. So Yeah, I wasn't listening. I wasn't right. listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yes now that now jason jason mission accomplished 10 percent down so we will be able to fill out this episode with this movie i'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> kevin's like great uh no we are now going to get on into the night <laughs> see what i did there would you gentlemen like to hear the trailer 
Go for it. Are you excited to hear the trailer? Because it's a shorty. It's maybe the shortest trailer we've ever played because it's like a 30-second TV spot. Thanks, YouTube. This is is the first time in a while uh, that I haven't actually looked up the trailer before Mm. we recorded. So usually I look it up because I want to see how – and I like to watch trailers after I've seen the movie, especially for some of these old ones because I like to see how they portray it versus how it – what the movie was actually – Yeah, what the marketing angle was. Yeah, Yeah. like how – how they put a spin on it? What did they do to make, uh, you know, what were they accentuating at the time? What were the things that they were trying to focus on? And But I, I didn't get around to watching it this time. And I was surprised because, you know, now we have the DVD. There was no trailer on the DVD. Oh, and probably should add this point. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, Kevin's the reason why we have the DVD. He got so tired of our namby-pamby whining that <laughs> apparently we couldn't find a free copy on the YouTubes that he goes, guys, I have Prime. And the next thing yeah. we know... Boom, uh, in the mail. I'll give you the $4. Come yeah, on. Yeah, you cheap, cheap, <laughs> cheap. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I got this, like, follow-up email from Amazon, like, you really want to buy that? Two copies? Yeah, I was going to say, sure? uh, sir, sir, we think there may have been a mistake in your order. And you're like, oh, no, no, I wanted two copies. No, no, we meant the movie. <laughs> okay, so, yes, here is the trailer, the 30-second TV spot, actually, of Into the Night. It open, can't sleep. What you need is some action. So he takes a little drive. I have something they want. This is ridiculous. Into the night, rated R. Now in select areas. Starts Friday at a theater near you. The following segment of Forgotten Flicks will contain information so pertinent to the film that, if you have not yet seen it, may ruin your viewing experience. So if you plan to see this film, please consider resuming the episode only after you've viewed the film, which you can find at your local video rental store. We now return you to Forgotten Flicks, already in progress. Ed Oaken can't sleep. (laughs) Because his prostate won't stop causing him to pee. Silly wabbit. (laughs) Yes, so that is the trailer for Into the Night, and thank you, JV, for that spoiler alert. Yes, because be aware, this the we will be spoiling this movie. So if you have not seen it, check it out, or if you rather you're okay with spoilers, which you know, we'll talk about this later, but I've pretty much come to the acceptance that I don't mind spoilers. Yeah, you're weird. I know you and I disagree on that Big point. Time. I, yeah, I really don't care. Certain movies, I definitely understand. It's that rabbit out of the hat thing. You know, uh, Sixth Sense or movies that have a big surprise or what, giant what, what, twist. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, Sixth Sense spoiler alert. Yeah, there's some. <laughs> but, but even t- here's the problem. Even <laughs> suggesting that there's something you could be majorly spoiled about at the very end causes people to be on their toes to be aware of it. This whole idea is it's got to be a sucker punch, and you yeah, don't well, see the, a sucker the, punch the, coming, man. I know, but the days of being able to go into a film knowing nothing long gone. Doesn't I, I am making it's super tough. I am making Impossible. it an effort. I'm going into episode seven. As cold oh, as, no way. As cold no as you're going to be living in that closet of yours for the next year and a half. I'm going yeah. to, I, I'm actually, what's the uh, app you can use that will filter yes. on Twitter, the, all the Star Wars hashtags and everything? I'm, I'm contemplating it, man. You can I, get that. You can get an app for Facebook and Twitter and social media, uh, but that's still yeah, not going to filter about, out everything. 
No. What about, you know, your friends at work and people at the I'll, mall? I will, and just, I will just punch them in the nuts. Because <laughs> that, that is my mission now. Is I'm going to punch him in the nuts and I'll run away. I'm probably going to be seeing you on the local news. You know, <laughs> local man punches 10 people. Oh, you no, know? buddy. My goal, if I'm if it's going down, it'll be national. You'll see me, Kevin. You're, you, you're far away from us, but you'll see me. And, and I'll really have to distance myself from you guys. Yeah, I, um, you know, cut, all of a sudden, you're going to be seeing it. You're going to you know, you're sitting back in your, your Barca lounger, popping open that... That uh, Jiffy Pop you just made on the stove, you know, uh, oh. kind of do the unbuttoning of the pants, you know, Al Bundy style, since we got to bring him up again. And then you're going to get uh, kind of wiggy ass, get into the, oh, you're comfortable. And then you're, you flip on the TV and there I am running, screaming. And you're like, is that Joel? <laughs> and as soon as the L comes out of your mouth, you're going to hear ding dong. <laughs> um, yes, Mr. Batchelder, can we get a uh, comment on your opinion of the he kept screaming, "Batch out there! Batch out there!" <laughs> As he was running from the flaming building. And by the way, I really appreciate that you said "friends" plural, because it assumes lots of things. Just ask Jason. Well, you know that's you know the therapist said that I really need to placate you, so you know. You <laughs> okay. Go. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate my therapist sharing my private sessions with all my. It's friends. a requirement before you can come on the show. That's all true. of us know that. <laughs> the court order says not so. before, uh, definitely after. Indeed. So, yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Okay, so here's how we're going to roll on this one. Kevin, this is your baby. So, Jason, I will give you the floor to do the synopsis. But then I say we bat it on over to K-Town. I agree. So that he can really (laughs) unload B-movie real style on this movie and on us. And we'll Uh, take a nap. <laughs> Pretty much, Kevin. We're gonna let you take over the show. Is where we're. <laughs> I don't actually think you sleep, uh, and most days don't even know that you actually breathe. So, <laughs> who me? Yes. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? Take a breath, man. Take a breath. <laughs> decaf. Decaf. Yeah. <laughs> I take Sammy the squirrel and over the hedge. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Woo. All right. So um, as you heard a little bit of in the trailer, this is a story of Ed Oaken, who's played by one Jeff Goldblum. And the story really starts out. It's just kind of his drab life and shows him awake in bed at night. And he shares with his, I guess, work buddy uh, played by Dan Aykroyd. Herb is what they call him, uh, that he can't sleep. And he doesn't sleep at night, and he's kind of half-tired during the day. And uh, Herb asks, when's the last time you got a great night's sleep? And he, he says something like five years ago. And everything in his life just seems kind of gray and dull. He goes to work. He's not paying attention. He falls asleep in a meeting, uh, which apparently he's a rocket scientist at some point because he says astronautical engineer, which is rocket science and He's falling asleep in a meeting and kind of gets made fun of. And uh, a, a, me- a meeting led by one David Cronenberg, I might add. <laughs> yes. Um, which we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, actually, Kevin, that'll be your job. This whole episode, every time I throw out the name of one That's of the right. Gen- I got a list here. Yeah, I got a list. Oh, I'll me check too. It off. Oh, me too. And it, you, it's just going to be ding. I should have created a sound of a ding. He <laughs> should have. So uh, at one point, his buddy says, you know what? When you go to bed at night, instead of going to sleep, You ought to hop on a plane to Vegas, live it up for the night, get back in bed in time for the next morning. Because if you're going to be asleep already, you might as well enjoy life. If you want to be specific, his friend played by Dan Aykroyd tells him to go get a hooker. Uh, I think that's part of the conversation. Couldn't remember. So (laughs) gave her name. (laughs) Uh, 
Here's, her, here's her card. Uh, go to the chicken ranch. Uh, you might want to disinfect that card first, just saying. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, don't put that in your pocket. That's a little too close. Uh, yeah. right. So uh, in the middle of the day, he decides he can't sleep, goes back to or that he can't work. He needs a nap. He goes home and his wife is there uh, banging the bald headed guy that picks her up for the car. Yeah, come on, Kevin. Let me hear you say, yeah, one for the baldies. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I guess so, but not exactly. <laughs> not Anyone like that. Look up so, to, yeah. you know. uh, so, but he doesn't even react. He kind of like goes back to work. And then at night, uh, he comes home and she says, Oh, is there anything I can do? And he's like, eh. And then the next scene is like her laying on his chest to sleep and they're both in bed. And he's like, all right, I'm leaving. So he gets up, gets in his car and decides he's going to the airport. He actually drives to the airport, gets into the parking lot. And he's sitting there thinking and almost going to do it. Uh, I don't think so. And then that's when this whole thing with uh, uh, Diana, like the princess, uh, uh, played uh. by Michelle Pfeiffer, um, she uh, is in this big brouhaha where these guys try and kill her. They kill the guy she's with. She runs away. She falls onto his hood. I love that you refer to a murder and attempted kidnapping slash murder. By four presumably not so legal individuals, one of them being John Landis. Let me hear it, Kevin. Ding. Thank you. <laughs> it's a big brouhaha. Yes. Yes. Uh, it is a kerfuffle. A, oh, a kerfuffle. If, if you will. Kerfuffle, yeah. A kerfuffle. Yes. It is St. Valentine's Day Massacre. That on, That's a kerfuffle. On police reports all the time. Kerfuffle. Yes, it is. It is. Uh, what so a cluster she, kerfuffle. <laughs> that yeah, works felony kerfuffle <laughs> third degree um and so she runs jumps over a fence sees him there and uh, gets in his car and says hurry run away help me so he reacts and runs and so the rest of the movie uh is he and diana trying to figure out what's going on and he's trying to help her she's trying to escape the situation and without giving too much away what happens there it's sort of the adventure he's looking for uh, in his life, and that leads down this path uh, of kind of crazy, criminal, pseudo-sexual uh, theft and money and, and uh, all kinds of bad stuff. So, And you see Michelle Pfeiffer's naughty parts. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of a gross part there. So. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa. In this special edition of Forgotten Flicks, Jason comes to terms. <laughs> you know, everyone's entitled uh, to their opinion, even when they're wrong. Yeah. Uh, no, she's. She, let me tell. Let me start with this. She is complete hotness, and in this, she is fantastic. You, you, in all seriousness, you really think so? Um, I think she's Hello. really. Cute. Yeah, no, I really, think no, I'm really, being dead McFly. serious. Hello. No, seriously, you guys actually think she's hot? I do. In a major way. Really? I do. Now, not no, so no, much. No, no, I mean dead serious, dude. Really? Yes, I know. So am I. Uh, not so much as like Catwoman or some of the roles she's played have not no. been no. attractive no. to me. Here? But What's that? Which, I was going to say here in this film, she yes, is like this, yes. the definition of cute. Yes. Really? You guys really think that? Oh, yes. I mean. That's probably part of the reason why I'm going to like this okay, film. Really, I I, I'm working my ass off to bait you both into being like, "What the hell is wrong with you, Joel? How could you not think so?" And I'm getting nothing. No, I can't. No. I can't keep. I can't keep perpetuating this unbelievable, ugly lie on my part. Because yes, of course she is. 
I'm like waiting being for as obnoxious as I can. So I could shoot holes in it. I was just getting ready for what you guys be like, yes, you moron. What the hell is wrong? I'm like, uh, guys, at some point, I can only make my, I can, without saying she's ugly, because I can't actually say those words with a straight face. Yeah, no, th- this is, she Am I is, the only one, am I the only one that thinks it was kind of gross when she licks Batman's nose, though? I mean, ugh, come on. Let's not go there. Dude, what? <laughs> Never happened. What movie did you watch? I didn't see her move the jewels from her jewels. I didn't see her lick Batman. When did she lick Batman's nose? When she was Catwoman. Alternate universe. Oh, in Catwoman. I was thinking in this movie, I'm like, what the hell? Did I see a different movie? <laughs> you didn't see the part with Batman in it? Come on. No, because earlier today, he does that part with the jewels. I'm like, the part with the jewels. I got completely in for what? Hey, no, wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, I don't want to go there yet. Stop, stop, stop. Let me take this to Kevin for a second. Kevin. Yeah, I love how we said after the synopsis, by the way. <laughs> Over to you, no. Kevin. Already no. derailed. Listen. You got three minutes hey. left and then we're done. No. <laughs> well, we got plenty of time. Plenty of minutes. <laughs> so, so let me set this up, Kevin. You tell me what happens in this scene. Uh, Jeff Goldblum and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer have gone back to... Um, her brother's apartment, right? And this is where she finally gets some clothes and gets dressed, right? He's in the bedroom sitting there. She goes into the bathroom. What happens in the bathroom? Um, she takes off her, her makeup. Which was the most um, important part. Because she's, yeah. still, she's still gorgeous. And she has to remove the contraband that she smuggled inside her body. Yes! <laughs> See? You weren't paying attention, dumbass! <laughs> I, I literally, I must have, I had a drink, and, and and by drink, I mean a fifth of scotch, and and I must have looked away, because I was sitting in a chair, I was in a very awkward position, because currently, we don't have a, we have a TV out where the kids watch it, but we don't have one in our room, so like, I have the one, okay. we have this old crappy Dell that I use as a DVD player right now, because everything else we watch instant, and I've got it hooked up to this computer monitor, I'm on the single chair with headphones on, like in a corner, I'm like this. I need pictures of this. Yeah, it, it literally, it's like a picture of the image of some kind of 18th century tailor or shoemaker in a corner, hunched over his wares, that's like what I look like, it's pathetic. So I must have. So let me recap this for a second, uh, you were watching the part where Michelle Pfeiffer is getting undressed and pulling things out of her lady parts in an awkward position. Position with a single computer by yourself, hunched over a table. What? Okay, that's that, that's a good point. I can see how that'd be taken the wrong way. But the point is, you missed that part, really? I, I, I'm learn. I must have looked away. So it must have been relatively quick because I it's looked relatively away. quick. Yeah, oh, it is quick. I remember her going through. Believe me, <laughs> I remember her taking off her makeup, and I, honest to God, do not remember her pulling the jewels or the crown jewels out of her jewels. Yes. Uh, well, this is one thing that happens, though, because when I first saw this film back in the 80s on cable, I did not have a recording. I was not watching a VHS. It was on cable. And the first time was like, was that? Yeah. Nah. Okay, I got to watch this again. And, and Because you, you blink, you miss it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I literally blinked. Because Jason like, said that to me. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> but like several other elements of the movie, that was one of the, the points at which it was kind of jarring. Uh, that w- w- they just showed that what? <laughs> so, um, well, to be fair, they didn't show it. No, no, it was behind the back. But I mean, still, the fact that it would even be implied, kind of implied, yeah, that it was kind of a jarring. You're so anyway, talking about the man who directed Animal House because we did fail uh, to mention this was this was directed by John Landis. Yes, so it's a Landis film. Ding. So, <laughs> ding, <laughs> ding. <laughs> That's three. I'm going to keep count. Um, 
So I'm going to go ahead and toss this over to Kevin because that's my synopsis. I didn't want to give away anything that happened sort of after he meets with her and moves on other than the she pulls jewels out somewhere. Um, but yes, so Kevin, please. My experience, again, I stumbled across this film on cable, probably late 80s. Um, and as you said, there's really not a lot that was out there. I don't remember if it was a very short trailer like the one you mentioned that might have had you know hey back in the day we had them on radio yep um and i remember you know hey jeff goldblum i remember him from you know buckaroo bonsai michelle pfeiffer you know so attractive and at this point i had seen her in like lady hawk oh that and, classic yeah <laughs> um so i had and this was a it just i stumbled across that it was going to be on i sat down to watch it and was just totally sucked in i mean she's so pretty and so attractive and the story is like i can totally be the jeff goldblum character i would not be able to say no every time she needed just one more favor just one more thing and you're just this little guy from the suburbs and all of a sudden you're involved in all this espionage and everything else and i'm like that would that would totally be me i would be such a sucker (laughs) (laughs) we we we're gonna we're gonna Back, rewind the tape, just just a smidge, just a smidge. You you could totally relate. Honestly, we are no longer talking about Into the Night. The rest of this episode is dedicated to Kevin telling us the stories that <laughs> lead to him relating to Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Kevin, please. This is where I need soap opera music. I'm adding it in post. It's there now. Go, Kevin. Well, you know, back in the 80s, you know, I was taking, I took a vacation in California at one point, you know, realized Vegas was only like a $29 flight away. You know, I had some money because I was single. I took a flight to Vegas and, you know, things happened. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, so, 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 so are you implying that you actually related better to the Dan Aykroyd character who makes recommendations of fun, hot tourist spots to visit? I'm not admitting anything i'd like that to be clear but okay. i'm just saying it was a little bit of a oh raise the eyebrow like i know where he's coming from on this yes yes so was your so was your initial attraction to it uh because you mentioned that you'd seen jeff goldblum you'd seen um uh, uh michelle pfeiffer and it, we talked about lady hawk we've done it before but was that really kind of what started it was that those two being the main characters yeah you're fans of those that's what you attracted you to it yeah, totally. And it was just, it was a film, it was one of those watches you could do back at that time. Like I said, this is when we didn't know everything about every film. Yeah. And I'm going, oh, this is kind of slow, but oh, okay, that's interesting. And then slowly it's just, I can't change the channel. I have to see what's going to happen to this poor guy. <laughs> no, I mean, is he going to get his head blown off? I mean, what's going to happen? The poor sucker is in way over his head. Well, and there's no way I could say no to her. No way. <laughs> do you re- Do you remember when it was actually in theaters? Uh, no, because I think my first come across it was, you know, HBO or Showtime. Okay, so that was like your first yeah. awareness of it even existing. Yeah, okay. even existing. Like I say, I think I might have seen a small commercial, you know, HBO back at the time then would show you like yeah. not full trailers, but like, like little bits. Like a 15 second, other yeah, promo. Yeah. 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 And it really was, you know, just like, huh, okay, well, that could be something. I don't know. Because they didn't really tell you what it's about. You had no idea. Yeah, because this is one of those that I rem- I always saw the cover in the video store, I mean, as far back as I can remember, I remember seeing the cover because it's such a <laughs> indicative of the eighties cover. Yeah. Just the, 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 that dusk California silhouetted palm trees, the reds, the blues, the neon, uh, the neon light. 
you know, kind, kind of, of kind of coloring. Yeah, 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 exactly. All that was, <laughs> and then her in that red. I'm sure it was much better than than the one he actually wore and beat it. But that sort of Michael Jackson like jacket. <laughs> yes. <laughs> very late eighties. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it, it just it's always felt very AC. And I remember, especially once I realized John Landis had directed it, because I was always a fan of his stuff. Uh, all alleged charges aside, uh, <laughs> I. For whatever reason, though, I don't know. It just never. It's one of those movies that just never presented itself. It's like you'd see it. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I do want to see that. Okay, so what else am I getting? <laughs> so yeah, I don't yeah. It's, it's well, not it, like riveting. It doesn't fit into a genre where you go, well, if I'm watching all the horror movies or all the yeah. adventure, yeah. it's just like it's just kind of there. They they don't do many films like that anymore, you know? Yeah. No, they don't. And and it, it rides at least three or four lines of what it could be defined as. And um, it never stuck out to me. I mean, I'm... I, like you, Kevin, I remember kind of seeing it coming on HBO. And I even remember, you remember those little HBO guides you used to get? Yes. Just yes. HBO stuff. Yep. I remember this being on the cover of one, or at least being a picture on either the front or back. Um, but I never remember this being in theaters. I don't remember coming out. Now, after I watched it, I looked it up and it only did like six, six, seven million dollars. Uh, yeah, growth. I don't think it did very uh, well financially. Right. Yeah. So it, you know, it didn't make back what it was uh what it cost to make it but um it's just seemed like you said it seems a classic 80s movie not only in just the the cover or the trailer but even when you watch it it's like yep everything in it is perfectly fit for 1985 yeah can you see trying to pitch this nowadays with the budgets yeah it's about a guy uh, kind of doesn't go anywhere and you know just <laughs> well he's very little comedy little reality and uh yeah yeah and he's yeah. very much an anti-hero i was just reading something about film noir and uh, of course i was and <laughs> and the the critical argument was going along the lines of film noir was actually not a intentional genre that it was something that french critic film critics put onto this body of work that they viewed as having these certain attributes uh, because when the movies were made back in the forties and the early fifties, they, from the studio's perspective, they were just crime pictures or they were suspense pictures there. They didn't think right. about, or police procedurals. They didn't think about them as, Oh, these are film noir. Oh. No, there was none of that. It was just these you know, detective and, and they had a lot of the same tropes, but what the, one of the aspects of them was, and it's funny when you look back on, you're like, yeah, that's true. Typically they starred and, anti-hero that had yep. more things happen to him than he caused to happen yeah mm -hmm. you know that that mm -hmm. typically in a traditional narrative right it's the protagonist takes action uh it, you know every decision he makes leads to other cause and effect and conflict ensues etc cetera, etc cetera, after a certain goal well jeff goldblum's character ed has no real goal other than he just really would like to get a good night's sleep so i guess he has a goal but as it pertains to this movie he even you could even make the argument he's obviously attracted on some level to Michelle Pfeiffer, but they don't even overplay that. So why yeah. he helps her, I mean, several times he almost leaves and then he thinks better of it. It's not, he's very much a passive protagonist. He is. And I think even to the extent that, you know, you talk about the, the, his attraction to Michelle Pfeiffer's character to Diana, they really, there's no play to that at all. And even the point we talked about where she kind of gets undressed, takes a shower. She walks by the door like twice naked. His, he kind his, of just smirks. Like he's yeah, like, he's, he's just like, kind oh. of, mm. and I would, I would argue, I think that overall in this movie, his goal is not to get a good night's sleep. I don't think in any of this, 
it really had to do with sleep. I think the way the story was told, this had to do with his life was dull, all of it, everything. And he wanted something that would something that would burn his energy, something that would make him excited, something that would give him reason to uh, have to pass out and sleep to recover from. Yeah, but then when he's presented with it, he 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 does he acts very lethargic and not that. Well, yeah, and I think giant. that's just I think that's just a result of the fact that he's been living it for so long. Uh, yeah, I guess that so. when it, he's just so blasé about it. I mean, even his even his face throughout the entire thing. And I, I mentioned this to you uh, earlier is his his demeanor just doesn't change. He kind of seems stoned throughout the entire movie. <laughs> well, it was 1985, Jason. <laughs> so, and not cocaine stoned. Like, oh, good point. Yes. There would have been a lot yeah. more energy. Yeah. yeah. Not Robin Williams stoned. It was more <laughs> so. Allegedly. He, allegedly. Uh, he just seemed kind of blah throughout the, the whole thing. So he seemed to me like a character who needed more stimulation than normal and his life didn't present it. So it wasn't about sleep at all. That was just a result of the idea that so he was so, he was so under, what he needed. So he was so under stimulated in his, yes. in his life that it's almost like his brain would just shift into overdrive at night trying to compensate maybe for that yes. lack of, oh, okay, I like that. That's just and he needed some kind of adrenaline, something to get, it's kind of like the adrenaline junkies that, you know, uh, base jumpers or, uh, you know, stuff like that, that they need that extra. And that's what I saw him as, is that it wasn't about sleep. It was just, he needed something and his life gave him none of it. And this was the first, even, even the point where they put the gun in his mouth. Cause there's that moment where David, David Bowie, Bowie Ding. <laughs> um, <laughs> plays this, which we never really find out who the Frenchman is, uh, right? Who, who, who the actor yeah. is. No, like who it, the it was Roger v- Vadim. King, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, was, who his yeah. character was? Like, what the hell was he? Did he have to do with this story? Um, but David Bowie plays like this agent who puts a gun in his mouth. He doesn't even react to that. He's just kind of meh. Maybe, maybe he liked having David Bowie's gun in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Ding. <laughs> I mean, the, the whole idea of him going to the airport to maybe go to Vegas, just to, like yeah. you said, to do something, because at that point he's questioning his whole life. He can't sleep. He's obviously not thinking straight. His yep. wife is unfaithful. It's like, what's the point of anything? And he makes that attempt to go to the airport and he's literally going to start the car and leave when all of a sudden the kerfuffle occurs. <laughs> and he ends up with with the Michelle Pfeiffer's character jumping on his hood and screaming, you know, with guys and guns. But every other point as it's going, it's just kind of like, well, I got nothing better to do. Okay, I'll give you a ride. Oh, yes. look, my car got towed. Oh, I got to go get my car. Yes. Oh, yeah, you go ahead and do it. I'll wait here. Oh, look, this guy stuck a gun in my house. What is going on? Oh, yeah, sure, you need some help. Let's go meet Jack. I mean, it's just, he's just, yeah. uh, every scene, he's like on the verge of going, screw this, I'm going home. And he just, keeps doing it because he looks at her and again it's not a a physical attraction i don't think it's a, a romance movie he just looks at her and goes okay that's better than what i got at home yeah yeah which i really i really like that aspect of it i like that they didn't make this that he was falling in love with her and that's why he no. was doing it i would that's, have been okay yeah. if all the way to the end they, they had not kissed and it was just kind of a he's tagging along because she's exciting yeah this is much more exciting and even if it goes nowhere, it'll be a hell of a story to share at work tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Or and that's, that's the kind of stuff that I remember <laughs> from a lot of 80s things was it's almost a movie with no effing point. 
<laughs> no, yeah. Well, and, and actually, this movie specifically reminded me of two other '80s movies, and I almost think of it as its own very small subgenre. Uh, are you familiar with After Hours? Yes. Okay. Griffin Dunn, Griffin Dunn and and uh, not Patricia Arquette, Arquette. Roseanne Arquette. Arquette, Roseanne Arquette. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. actually, isn't um, oh uh, Linda Fiorentino in it too? I think oh, she was. She was a hottie in the eighties. Yeah. Um, she wasn't ugly. No, no. <laughs> and no, no. and what was that other one she did with Matthew Modine? She was like uh, the spy. Oh no, that uh, Gotcha with Anthony Edwards. Oh no, that was the other one. What's the other one? I'm thinking he did. Of? Uh, she wasn't she in uh, that the one that uh, Jason you, you uh, why am I brain farted? The one that Doug McCoy talked about that you covered. Oh, is it uh, Vision uh, Quest? Um, Vision well, Quest, yeah, the wrestling one. Yep, that was Matthew yeah. Modine, right? So she yeah. was in that with Matthew Modine. Yeah, but yeah, she played a spy in Gotcha with Anthony Edwards. Remember the paintball? That's another nineteen eighty five or Jason. There you go. Yeah. See. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, uh, false evidence. Go yeah, ahead. but so After Hours very much reminds me of this movie because in that one as well, Griffin Dunn and that he's more of a a, a upper New York yuppie type, I guess, and he ends up and that one definitely has more of a romantic bent to it. And he ends up in all these crazy situations. But again, it's very much all in one night. He's in an area he's not familiar with. In, in this world, he's not familiar with. He's looking for something exciting and, and he finds it. And a lot of things happen to him rather than him making them happen. Uh, and then the other one was, did you ever see The Night Before? Doesn't sound familiar I from the name. I believe it's 1988. It starred Keanu Reeves and Lori Laughlin. And more interesting than even that, though it is Lori Laughlin, is the fact that it was directed by one Mr. Tom Matthews, a.k.a. Tom. Is it not Matt? I'm sorry, not Eberhardt. I, I believe I'll be editing that out. <laughs> I, I, I had it like on the tip of my tongue that I said Matthews. From yeah, yeah, Tom Eberhardt. Thank you. Yes. As in Night of the yeah. Comet. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yep. So, and that one's uh, that one's more of a straight up comedy. Uh, it's got a bit of a dark edge to it, but not much. It's it almost has a adventures in babysitting, which I guess you could almost argue is a little bit in this vein. Which the whole, I, I guess, it's kind of yeah. comedy drama action, comedy drama thriller. But it all takes place like in, over one night see, in yeah, the big city. I wouldn't city. even call it. I can't put thriller on this though, and I can't yeah. put action on it. It's more like. It's not like, a comedy. I didn't think it was a comedy. I mean, there's some good, like some well, weird slapstick dry. with the bad guys, but yeah, there's some dry humor. But no, it's not going to slap your knee kind of stuff. No, no, and you don't you don't laugh out loud uh, at elements. Although I want to get into what that happens for a minute. to him, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I want to get into that for a minute because we're talking a lot about uh, Jeff Goldblum's character and Michelle Pfeiffer's character and that interplay, which I think is the best part of the whole movie. But the other element is, uh, for those of you who don't know, the story is that she was recruited to go get these emeralds that were part of these crown jewels of uh, these Iranian yeah. Yeah, the the Shah. Shah's uh, uh, treasure. And so these Iranian guys, these four bad guys, of which we've already learned, one is John Landis, right? Who, Think, totally, looks like, who totally looks Iranian. He looks completely You can get away with it. Because no. he has a dark beard. I wonder if that was like the argument. Come on, guys. I've got a dark beard. Plus, it's my movie. Shut up. I'm doing it. Yeah. Oh, and and I don't even have wing. to say a single word in the whole movie. <laughs> no. <laughs> so um, it's these four guys are kind of the four thugs that are chasing after throughout. And um, they're sort of half 
Keystone cops, half brutal murderers, violent <laughs> murderers. I mean, it is they're felony kerfufflers. <laughs> it plays this really weird balance between they're almost these bumbling idiots who are chasing after them with guns because they do this moment like where they both two of them run out to the street and they face opposite ways with a gun and then they switch places and face the other way. It's kind of funny in the way that they're wait, where did they go? Where did they go? Like you're really getting ready to hear. Yes, it's kind of Keystone Cops, uh, almost, you know, Three Stooges-ish. But then, and then they do things like when they're eating the pistachios and they're all kind of eating the bowl, listening to the story. And then the next shot is like the bowl's empty. So it's sort of comedy. And then the next thing they show is they are actually like killing people. Like, yeah, well, well, not just killing them, but I mean, they're tearing their... Yeah, flash yes. yeah, and everything else. It's intense. violent. So it's this weird balance between uh, slapstick and jarring violence. You know what it is? It's a slapstick slasher. <laughs> <laughs> can't, can't you just see the conversation going on in the marketing people's area when they got this film? You know, how are we going to sell this thing? <laughs> well, here's the kids today. They love the Friday the 13th movies, you know? So we got to have the slasher. We got to have the blood. We got to have the guts and we got to have the boobs. Check, check, and check. Check, check. <laughs> but of course, yeah. they also love the slapstick. I mean, it's 1985. We got Fletch. We got, uh, what else we got here? Uh, the, my Science Project. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Oh, oh, Top oh. Secret, 1985. Oh, yeah, so here's what we're going to do, kids. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to create a slapstick slasher movie. Yeah. But you know, you, know what it, you know what it needs? We have to have an Elvis impersonator. Yes. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Sexually ambiguous Elvis personator, played by Bruce McGill of all people. I am utterly confused. Ding. <laughs> but you are entertained. <laughs> I was entertained, yes. I will. Here's the key. I was entertained for any number of reasons. Now, before we go too for much further, I, I want to make sure we get our cameo bingo game in. <laughs> oh my oh god. Oh my god. But 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 I do want to real quick address the violence because one thing I've noticed about John Landis, as if especially in his earlier films, his later ones, they were violent more towards the audience. You know, the stupid Blue, Blues Brothers 2000, Beverly Hills Cop 3. That was more like brutality to the audience. But his earlier movies, which were actually good, he he does this really weird thing where he really plays up the comedy and, and the movies are shot in this very somewhat typical straight on early 80s comedy kind of way. I mean, I think I like trading places and and just the way it looks. But yet in this movie, the violence isn't just violent. It's brutal. brutal. It's ugly. Like it's, it is. It's, it's not it's not like the most graphic violence you've ever seen, but it's just when oh. it happens, it's freaking Compared to the rest of the story, I mean, even like we talk about those four uh, Three Stooges characters, you know, the four thugs. When they finally get killed, it's not like oh they crash and disappear. They're really yeah. murdered. I mean, and then the one guy, and then the that whole scene where the guy's got his gun to Michelle Pfeiffer and everybody's around, and uh, Ed's talk trying to talk yes. him down, I guess. And then the guy just he kind of just gets that look on his. He shoves a gun in his mouth. Boom! And his brains and blood go he all over the. He shoots himself in the head next to Michelle yes. Pfeiffer. So her face is covered in his brain and blood. Jeff Goldblum is covered in it. The white porcelain behind him under that fluorescent light. I guess what it was is that very dirty. I always think what you would expect from a horror movie. Yeah. 
You yeah. know what I mean? Just the vibe. Now, it made me think of American Werewolf in London, obviously. One of my, probably my favorite movie. Nick, that, yeah, that's probably even more my favorite than Coming to America, which I love. But American Werewolf in London is a great movie. It makes sense when the violence happens with the werewolf. But the one scene that yes. always has always, I think, bothered me more than any scene in that whole movie was, and everybody here's seen American Werewolf, right? I have, yes. Okay. Yes. And, and more to the point, those of you listening, if you haven't. I'm really not. It's what I, I'm about to spoil a nightmare, so it's not that bad. But if you really don't, go fast forward thirty seconds. So, American Werewolf. There's a nightmare sequence when he imagines he's at home. It's after he's been bit, and he, those Nazi werewolves come in and just gun his whole family down. And the way the whole thing plays out, it's so it's just ugly. I guess it's like yeah. ugly violence. It's not. It's not the violence should be pretty, but you know what I mean. There's a difference between that John Woo or you know like early Schwarzenegger <laughs> kind of almost poetic ballet violence to this gritty dirty 42nd avenue sleazy <clears throat> violence more like you'd see in an exploitation film from the era than in a mainstream movie i guess that's where i'm going with it and yeah you do no know, i agree you do know the american werewolf in london connection to this movie let me think was it an actor well i mean i know john landis directed both but no well aside from him oh, rick baker there you go. Because Ding. he was the drug dealer. That's right. <laughs> Ke- Kevin, Kevin, Kevin. Yes. I didn't hear it. He did it. You just didn't hear it. Oh. Yeah, you were just so hopped up on your answer. Oh, okay. You never missed mind. it. Ding, 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 there, ding, ding, ding. Yeah, because actually I was totally jacked about Because I didn't realize it was him until I saw the credits. I was like, God, that guy kind of looks weird because he doesn't have that, that weird neo-skunk beard thing he has going on now. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. So, the violence. Any other comments about that? Or am I... And I'm not no, saying it's a good or bad thing. I just it, it was it was jarring to me. It, it is. It felt a little off, uh, a little off kilter. And every time it happened, it was almost surprising. Like I waited for a funny part to happen, and you would see things like the throat slashing when he when she goes in or he goes in to find where she's at, uh, and all of these people, her friends, have been you know murdered violently, and they're all laying there with their throats open. It just seemed not fitting for the tone of the movie up to that point. Well, they were watching Abbott Costello meets Frankenstein on the TV in the penthouse. <laughs> not just that, watching that counts, it, Kevin, got, that counts. Say ding, damn it. Because that ding. whole scene there, they spent so much time setting the mood by, yeah. by having that on the TV. Oh, and so, really that was a great playing. sequence. Actually, <laughs> that was well on, played on like yeah. the same movie was playing on like six TVs throughout this penthouse suite because Every room he goes into, there's another TV in it with the same movie playing. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's not just like one room he walks into. It's all over. Okay, so that brings up another point. And this is typical Joel going into his wacky, psychotropic conspiracy thing. Did you, no. At that moment, and now, Kevin, you had obviously seen it, so you wouldn't have thought this. But maybe if you can you know, go back 20-some-odd years and remember. <laughs> did you have this feeling like, I had this moment where I thought, because he's going room to room, like the TV's all being on, like you said, Jason. It was so otherworldly. I was like, "Is it possible that he's imagined all like this? Is is this like a like a a midway point where we're going to be like, holy crap, this didn't happen, or maybe he killed the people and he like lost all sense of time, and you know, like he was going to take this totally different direction? Did you guys? Am I the only one who thought that? Yeah. Apparently, I am. Uh, no. Okay, <laughs> I, I was going to let Kevin answer first, but. Um, no, my only thought is that there was a point, it wasn't exactly at that point, but it was a little further along. 
that I thought, cause I, I haven't seen this. I actually don't remember seeing any of it until I watched it recently. Um, I remember seeing the poster and hearing about it, but not watching it. And I thought, are they going to pull that this whole thing was a dream at the end at the end? Yeah. Cause he hasn't slept for years. I thought maybe they were going to pull that this whole thing has been, he's been sleeping for days and it's this elaborate dream because he's been an insomniac. I did think that at some point. Yeah. Well, and I, I don't want to give away the ending ending. We won't go there, but that's where I thought that. Cause when it, yeah. the way it plays out, I was like, Pfft. yeah, it's a, it's a whole dream. Yeah. I yeah. did think that at one point. Okay. So, yeah. But it's also like, we see a lot of these really extreme things happen just around the time when, when, certainly not from the movie's point of view being almost over, but from in Ed's mind, like he had just dropped her off. That's true. He thought this, this was someone who was going to help her. And he was almost about to get in the car and go. And he's like, no, nah, I better check on her. And then, oh my God, there's, you know, a bunch of dead people well, in the well, room. And, and, and of yeah, course, and of yeah. course he, he decides to do that with help from the usher played by Art Evans from Die Hard 2. Ding. <laughs> <laughs> but that's What's only up, the son? second the second famous doorman in the movie. Yes. Oh, yeah. Because, Jason, who was the other one? <laughs> Paul Bartell. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> he played the, uh, which, which was kind of odd because he and Michelle Pfeiffer, or <laughs> not Paul Bartell, but um, uh, Jeff Goldblum and Michelle Pfeiffer are talking, and they're sort of talking about what's going on to them. But they're doing it, like, right next to the doorman, and he looks over like he's listening, and they, they notice he's listening, and he kind of turns away. Yeah, you really wouldn't be having that conversation in front of anybody, <laughs> even a doorman, you know? Oh, by the way, the one thing I will say when they're in that whole sequence, uh, and maybe I missed it much like the jewel scene. So <laughs> how did Cronen Cronenberg, brain fart, how did Goldblum know what floor she was on and what penthouse she was in? I took it, I took it, and I don't know, it's a good question. I took it as... At that location, this guy was so rich, he had the whole place. But you still have to know what floor to get off on. Well, well where, I took it as... He's going to stay in, in a place like that. Yeah, and, and when he when he at one point says to uh, the doorman, oh, I have to give it give her something, I have to give it to her now, he kind of opens the door and walks in So he could have told her. him. Yeah, he could have told he, him. And I yeah. took it like he could have said, oh, she's on the you know 20th floor, whatever. I, I think that's all they had to do. If they just threw it in there, I wouldn't have thought twice about it. It was just because yeah. suddenly he's on the floor. I'm like, wait, how did he figure that out? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those like piddly little things. It doesn't matter. I just thought that was odd. But I will say, the one that did make me do a sort of laugh, chortle, guffaw, yelp all at the same time was during the when they're at that location and the old man in the elevator with the dog. I know who it is. I imagine Kevin does. Jason, I don't know if you caught it or not. I uh, know I didn't pay I'm attention. Let Kevin yes. have one. Yes, that was uh, none other than well-known science fiction director Jack Arnold. Ding, 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 ding. At first, I thought it was Don Siegel because I saw his name in the credits and never laser both old at that point. But <laughs> but, <laughs> but the, the guys with the dog and the four bad guys are there and the thing opens, the dog starts, and they had set it up with... Oh, my God, Jeff, yes. Was this was awesome? another one of those jarring moments. <laughs> it was so awesome because yes. Jeff Goldblum, Michelle Pfeiffer, they've gotten away from the bad guy, a.k.a. David Bowie, because, by the way, he was fighting... Carl Perkins, legendary country singer and author of the original Blue Suede Shoes. Ding, 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 ding. Thank you. <laughs> Had a knife in his chest. That's how badass he was, which, which apparently this is the <laughs> only movie he was going to stab David Bowie with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is the only movie he was ever in. And by the way, was the insinuation he killed David Bowie? I assume because he's I gone so. after that. 
Yeah, because yeah, you never saw never it happen. That. So, but so Michelle Pfeiffer go. They're running away. They go to the elevator. They opens up this, which of course does contradict the whole guy with the penthouse is on the top floor. Because why would this yeah. guy be in the yeah, elevator? But, why would the guy with the dog? But, be but there? that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. So, so the thing opens, and then the dog just barks up, scares him, kind of makes you. It's like a jump scare. Oh, they, they, and then they run off to the stairs. Yes, and then doors close. So the guy's going back downstairs. The four bad guys are waiting in the lobby for the elevator. It opens up. The dog's just barking. They just pull their guns out. Blah! It was like something Quentin Tarantino would have done. Like yes. blah, 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 blah. And the guy's like, this- freaking dog. <laughs> But at least a lot of this extreme violence isn't on screen. It's yeah, just they didn't show. That was actually, we, I will say, it. it was sick. It was sick, funny, like a Tarantino kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. because a lot of these things, you, or at least I think from a John Landis point of view, it's the visual in the moment. It's much like earlier in the film when, uh, fairly early, when Michelle Pfeiffer tries to go to see Jack on the boat. And yes. uh, and the guy doesn't let him on because she's not, you know, she's person non grata now. So, uh, and who was that guy, Jason? It was not. It was not Lyle Alzado, which is what I, which is what I thought until I looked it up. <laughs> Although now you say it, he did look a little I, like him. Didn't I, he? I did. That was my first reaction. I was like, "Dang, is that Lyle Alzado?" Or Lou Ferrigno it was not Lou Ferrigno either. So no. I knew that he wasn't the Hulk. <laughs> yeah, but, I know who uh, was. But remember? it was just a scene. I mean, to to take a look at the uh, the lady topless. Very honestly. Yeah. Well, it was. It, do you remember the name, Jason? No, I don't. I don't. I'm trying to look it up now. I no, don't remember okay. what his name was. No, I, I wrote it Larry, down. Right? I wouldn't have, it was Jake Steinfeld. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. He was yeah. the only thing I ever remembered him from is because when I was looking him up, because I recognized him, was he was the taxi driver in Coming to America when. Oh, right. When yeah. when he first when they first arrive, yeah. Looks like he was in Money Pit, Ratatouille. He's been a lot of comedies. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, you're right. Uh, that that whole thing was just so he could do whatever that strip game was yeah. with the chick yeah that was weird that now was- you take your shirt off <laughs> <laughs> and i was watching like yeah that's why kevin likes this movie yeah. <laughs> oh, again she was not unattractive so. no. she wasn't ugly although those glasses she was wearing were like big giant saucer okay, 80s really, glasses but is it kind of weird that that whole look i don't hate I'm not gonna lie. No, no, that was mid '80s librarian. Yeah, not no. <laughs> the feathered hair. I know there's something about that. I ain't gonna lie. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> so here's the All thing. Right. So let's let's get to the. Uh, the we want to uh, play cameo bingo. Yes. Okay. Yes. So what we'll do is we'll go around the table. We'll start with our guest and somebody that we haven't mentioned yet. He can say, and we'll see if we have it on our list. And you mark it off. And Ooh, okay. All right. And really, there's no end game here because I don't have it on a board. No. Although I should have in hindsight. Dang it. But that being said, we'll go with this and see who has the, see who has the most at the end. That's how we'll do it. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. We got Paul Bartell. I had him. Yep. Rick Baker we got. Yep. I had Rick Baker. I got to find him on my list. This is a long list. But a long th- by the way, this Carl, movie, Carl hands Perkins. down, hands down wins the re- uh, reward, wins the award <laughs> for most cameos of any movie we've ever covered. I mean, this is just insane. Yeah. Um, the first one, well, not first one, the, the one that I noticed that was gigantic was they're in the uh, restaurant and they go to use the phone and it's Jim Henson on the phone. Yep. <laughs> yep. As soon as he and started like, talking, I heard Kermit. I was like, oh, my God. Yes, his, his voice was Kermit. And they basically, his whole part was he's talking on the phone, and the bad guy comes up, hey, get off the phone. He's like, okay, I'll call you back later. Click. And he walks off. I'm like, 
what was he just happened to be in the studio that day? He's on set. They're like, hey, Jim. But think about it. He's one of, but he's one of the few smaller cameos like that that they made sure he said something. And I think that's why they did that because you could hear the Kermit. Oh, yeah, it's Kermit's voice. Yeah, yeah. it's clearly. Um, but yeah, so Jim Henson, there's mine. Okay. And, our, and David Cronenberg, we already had. Uh, so go ahead, yep. uh, Kevin. Uh, let's see. Uh, who else are we going to do? Um, oh, this is a f- <laughs> how about um, award, you know, Academy Award winning director Jonathan Demme? Yep, yep, got him. Yep. And I'll see your Jonathan Demme and raise you a Carl Gottlieb, the writer of Jaws, mm-hmm. Caveman, and the jerk who was standing next to him as a federal agent. Yes, they are the whole agent. Really? Group. Yep, that yes. was Carl Gottlieb. I recognized yeah, see, I him. And I couldn't. I was like, "Who is that guy?" It was driving me crazy. Uh, yeah. Um, yep. Who was Richard the other one to go with him, though? Ah, Clue Gulliger. Yeah, cowboy. Yep. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was. Uh, is he still alive? Clue, Clue Gulliger still he is, alive. Yes, right. Yep. Yeah. Um, but he did a whole bunch of um, uh, westerns and back, especially in the '60s. He was a big, big character in the '60s. And he was also in Return of the Living Dead. 1985, Jason. There you go. Making your argument (laughs) for you. All right. So mine, Richard Farnsworth. He played Jack, the super rich guy that she goes to help out with, who apparently she had a relationship with for like five years and gives him up for. uh, What's his name for Jeff Goldblum's character, Ed? Right. Oh, and that was the only thing. Did anybody else? I mean, Richard Ferns was one of, those, one of those guys. He's a fantastic actor. Straight story. If you've never seen it, it's probably the most normal David Lynch movie that could ever possibly exist, which in and of itself makes it weird. It's this G-rated story. He's fantastic in it. However, the guy has, is one of those actors to me that has always looked 73. <laughs> so he looks like her, he looks like Michelle Pfeiffer's grandfather. And I'm not saying that that yeah, doesn't happen. Yeah. Huh? That's the idea. Is that that's the idea? He's a rich older guy. Yeah, and she, but I don't know. I just of didn't, course it's creepy. No, I didn't think it was creepy. No, no, I didn't even think it's creepy. I think that it, go, it implies that she's this money grubber. But her reaction to him was so sincere. I'm like, well, she ain't money grubber. Yeah. She loves this guy. Yeah. So what you're I mean, saying is, what you're saying is, his nickname was Tripod because that explains everything. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And would you consider that a cameo? Because he was that's a decent. Yeah, it was a little bit. Character. It was a role. It was, it was a, a small role, but it was a, it was a role. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, All right. So okay. So well, Kevin. What, Kevin, what do you got? Uh, Star Wars connection. Okay. Oh yeah. You're taking mine, aren't you? Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Say it. <laughs> Lawrence Kasdan. Yes, I was going to say Raiders, but e- e- Empire. Yeah. yeah. Will, and and no. of course, Episode Seven. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. All right. Well, I'll see your Lawrence Kasdan. That should have been mine. And I'll raise you one director, Jonathan Lynn, who directed Clue, Nuns on the Run, and Greedy. He was the tailor that was working with the hitmen. Yes. Yeah. <sighs> That's obnoxious. Wait, he's, he's the guy that said, no, don't break yeah, the my Brit- door. Yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Some of us have families to get home yeah. to. No, hold on. Let me, <laughs> let, me, let, me give you my, let me give you my impression. Some of us have families to get home to. I, I don't even know what the hell that was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> See, you guys, you guys definitely have an advantage for, uh, over me on this one because we're I, complete losers who never got a date <laughs> in high school. Yes. No, I didn't recognize. I recognize the actors, 
or in David Bowie's case, the actor slash musician. But I didn't recognize a lot of the directors. Now, when I looked at the list of um, characters and the actors, actresses that played in it, I recognized the names. Yeah. So I recognized the, uh, you know, the uh, Lawrence Kasdan's. I recognized the Jonathan Demme's, but I just didn't recognize their faces. You know, I know who they are. Yeah. But I just didn't because you don't see them. They're well, not in a lot well, of stuff. For, for some of these, I didn't recognize them so well. Like y'all got Carl Gottlieb. I recognize like I knew I knew who that guy was. And the yeah. second I saw John and Jonathan Demme, I knew who he was. And I, when I saw him and then I saw I didn't even have to look to see how they the name. I knew it was I was like, oh, that's right. That was Carl Gottlieb. So a lot of them yeah. were like that for me, to be fair. Yeah. I mean, Lawrence Kasdan, I immediately knew. But like Jack Arnold, I didn't recognize him. I mean, I, I knew I knew the name the second I saw the name, but his yeah. face I didn't recognize him. Uh, so okay, so we we uh, so Jason, are, do you have any more? Was that? No, I think that was my that was pretty much it. I, uh, wow, that's the, I'm just gonna say that's a bit of a letdown. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I picked the ones I had, other than Abbott and Costello, and oh, then of uh, course at one point they played uh, like Dracula in the background. With yeah, Bella I think it was supposed to be having Costello meet Frankenstein. And I only remember that. No, because no, but there was another movie. Oh, was there at another point? Yeah. Cause they had Abin Costello meet Frankenstein. Cause they actually show Luke Costello, uh, at one point, but then later they show when Bella Lugosi changes into the bat. Oh no, that is the same movie, right? I, it, pro- it probably is, I but I'm just going to let you keep rolling with it. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think it's the same movie. Bella Lugosi was in. Yeah. Yeah, Abin Costello and Frankenstein. Yeah, because yeah, it was, was all the, within the scene right. of that apartment. It was in that's that apartment. True. Yeah, that's right. I remember. So now, now so I, that's it. And then David Bowie. Okay. Which was it, my well, oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, but again, see a lot of the ones that I would like, I would have said like, okay, Bruce McGill or Dan Aykroyd, but they were roles. I mean, they weren't. Yeah, that's cam- true. I yeah. think a cameo is like either you don't have any lines, or it's like the Jim Henson part. You say like two lines and you leave. Yep. Nothing central to the plot. Let's just say. So, uh, do you have any other ones, Kevin? Just one other one, and I didn't recognize this person. Okay. It's one of those ones that I recognized the name when I saw it in the credits. Yeah. Director Fast Times at Ridgemont yep, High. Yep, I knew that. I got that one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Amy Heckerling. Yep. Now, I, I saw her as a waitress, and I thought, oh, she's cute in an adorable kind of way. And then I saw yeah. the name, so the same thing with me. Like, I didn't, until I saw the name, I was like, oh, okay, that's who, that, that was Amy Heckerling. Like, I, I didn't really, as a waitress, I felt, felt she looked vaguely familiar, but it wasn't a, uh, oh, who is that former, who is yeah. that uh, future yeah, director yeah. of, he wasn't like that. No. Uh, I didn't know her at all, but no, I just, the name, when I saw it in the credits, like, oh, I remember that name. That was one of those ones that you then, or at least I went to IMDb and went, oh, now I know. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't recognize him. He was one of the coworkers. But I wrote his name down anyway. Richard Franklin was one of, along with David Cronenberg, was one of Goldblum's uh, in that meeting that they were in. Oh, yeah, yeah. He directed Cloak and Dagger. Really? Psycho 2 and Road Games. Yeah. So this was a full-on director orgy. That's what you're saying. It was pretty much... (laughs) Hollywood. Uh, yeah. There's being, even uh, there's even one more. I don't think we've mentioned yet. Uh, uh, is it is it uh, uh, the director of Down and Out in Beverly Hills? Um, uh, uh, I think so. Yes. Okay, Paul Mazursky. Yes. Yeah, Mazursky. Yeah, yeah. That's not what I was thinking of him for. Yeah. What were you but, thinking yeah. of him for? Uh, I had him more for the really uh, the older stuff. Uh, an unmarried woman oh, back yeah. in the seventies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. 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 And and apparently in uh, uh, Harry and Tonto. You remember? Do you remember that movie? <laughs> No. Starring Art no. Carney. I don't know why I liked. The, I liked this movie as a kid. I saw it. it's like about an old guy with a cat. It's Art Carney yeah, <laughs> from the Honeymooners. Okay, probably what he was maybe best known for. And according to Imdaba, Paul Mazursky was in that movie as an actor playing a prostitute, which 
Just visualize, folks. All right. Paul Mazursky was the <laughs> sort of short, dumpy director that I didn't buy for one second that Catherine Harold, who played his actress, like in that relationship, I was like, oh, yeah, she's totally with him for the career thing. <laughs> <There's> a... <laughs> nice. Unless his name is Tripod. I don't know. <laughs> but interesting, I wanted to point out, Jason, Miss Catherine Harold, who played the actress friend of Michelle Pfeiffer. Yes, yes. I noticed uh, she was in uh, your former, your last movie pick, Nightwing. Oh, bring no, it, I didn't even notice bring that. Bring it all back around. And, and one last one that I would have been really remiss and would have punched myself in the gonads had I forgotten. Did you catch who Jack, a.k.a. Richard Farnsworth's wife, was? Oh, she I was actually, very famous. I looked her up. Because I, I saw her, yep. and she was very, very famous to yep. me, somebody I'd recognized. I and saw her it, name in the credits, and then when she came on screen, I knew immediately. I think if I hadn't noticed her name in the credits, I don't. I would have done the whole, like, oh, where do I know her from kind yeah, of moment. Yeah. But because I had seen the name first. So, Jason, would you like to say who it was? Yeah, it was Vera Miles yes. uh, from Psycho. Yes, most uh, famously. Also, yep. But she was also in, uh, again, a, a bunch of Westerns. So they've got a theme going here. Uh, she was in with uh, John Wayne and mm-hmm. uh, the man who shot Liberty twice, the searcher. She was in a bunch, um, including with Henry Fonda in The Wrong Man. Ah, nice. So, so, nice. so, so should, we, should we Golf add up. up our bingo cards? Uh, go ahead if you've got a scorecard. Okay, hold on. Yeah, I, I have no card. <laughs> <laughs> it is definitely more than we've ever had. Uh, I have at our- least 20 yeah. to 22-ish. A couple of those, like I said, could you could argue are more roles than actual cameos? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, well, the point is, this movie is, and it's we missed some. I, I purposely stopped writing. I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. I'm done. I can't. My hand <laughs> yeah. hurts. Uh, and then and it wasn't. Go, uh, go ahead, I Kevin. Say, it wasn't a cameo, but somewhat related. And there was another movie reference in here that I didn't want to forget to mention. Okay, it was something that Ed said. When he was at, when they were at, uh, when they finally got to meet Jack, and Jack was going to help them out, and he let them have some cars. They each needed a car. Oh yes, I, 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 I let me. I'm not going to give it away because I want you. If I was, I caught it, and I thought, okay, this came out in '85, that came out in '84. Am I on the right track? Yes. <laughs> and I was like, would they have made a reference to that movie? I have no idea if it's a reference. I just instantly knew. You know, I just caught it. I, okay. I missed it. Okay, I, Jack, I totally... Kevin. Kevin, it, it, the, the phrase was bonsai. Yes. That's what Ed said as he was taken off. <laughs> you got it, Jason? Uh, I'll give maybe. You, I'll give you a hint. I don't know. I'm going to say it was probably just a phrase. I don't know if it was actually a reference, but it could be. Yeah. I, I you realize there's people the listening. Wait, wait. There's people listening right going, a reference to what? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Jeff Goldblum was also in Buckaroo Banzai. Uh, oh, is that what so, you guys are going with? Yeah. Oh, what are you was, going with? Oh, oh, my God. I thought it was from Karate Kid. <laughs> Wait, because remember, Miyagi gives him a car and they say bonsai as he's driving away. Oh, wow. Okay. Hey, so I the see, answer I to that, that is no. I, I, think, I think I have a better chance of being right than the two of you. Yeah, I'll give oh, you, I'll probably Kar- give you Karate that. Karate Kid was like a, a big pop culture. Uh, no. I think I'm right. I'm, no. I'm gonna I'm gonna call Mr. Landis after this. Call John. You I'm call gonna John. find out. If he was says yes. A reference to Karate Kid. I'll give up. The Buckaroo Banzai, a movie I love, but was not exactly Mainstream. cultural fodder at that point. 
Yeah. No, no, I agree. From a mainstream point of view, which is where a lot of these directors and cameo bits, you're probably right. But that's that, not however, where my I think it's hilarious that we were I'll, both completely talking about separate things. <laughs> however, Jeff Goldblum was in Buckaroo Banzai. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Uh, yes. And so there's more of a connection there. Oh, well, than speaking, there. Of, speaking of connections, I would agree that is a connection. But how about this one? Cronenberg went on to direct Goldblum the following year in The Fly. And, yeah. wait for it, Cronenberg also directed the cam- one cameo we didn't mention because it was a two-dimensional one, Mr. Jeremy Irons, who was on the cover of GQ magazine that John Landis's character was looking at in the back of the car, and he would direct him in Dead Ringers. <laughs> Boom! So this was pretty much I am just so glad I didn't take my medication. Yes, this was just a headshot movie, right? That's Pretty much. This just was literally just a head. I mean, the fact that Jeremy Irons is like, I'm like, wow, they even got another famous guy on a, <laughs> on a magazine. Yes. So, and right, so then, are we, we going to eventually get the picks here? Yeah, we are. We are. We're going to wrap it up. But I do want to say that there was a special on this. Starring uh, Mr. B.B. King, because he did a lot of the music for the movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kevin, did you watch it? Yes, I did. Did you see what I was talking about? Yeah, like the music music video. Yeah, the whole thing. Yes, the whole thing. That that, I remember seeing that on MTV. Believe it or not, really? Because yes, I had no idea. So yes. this thing has no other specials on the DVD, right? As it's one no. into the night with BB King special or something, and I start playing it. I'm like, what? And it's a staged <laughs> concert. BB King singing. Okay, I get it. Some random guy on bass or rhythm guitar, or whatever he's doing. I get it. Jeff Goldblum on piano. I think he actually does play piano, and he was in the movie. Okay, I'm on board. Michelle Pfeiffer looking somewhat androgynous which was a little odd uh, but but faking playing the saxophone again she's in the movie and wait dan Aykroyd playing sa- okay well he was in the movie and he's a big r&b guy that makes it okay wait a minute is that steve martin playing saxophone okay well he's a music guy wait on drums that's eddie murphy <laughs> yeah it was kind of a weird who's who of the 80s comedy it was just nothing um, all except for steve martin right at that point although did John Landis produce the jerk? I, he, I think all the actors had worked with him directly because Eddie Murphy had worked with him in Trading Places. Dan Aykroyd, obviously, Blues Brothers. Yeah, and So brothers, everybody yeah. had. Out in the crowd, there was one individual that popped out to me. I was like, oh, my God. I think that's somebody who this is way before her career was going anywhere. So she was an extra. Did you guys catch who that was? No. It's one of the yeah. women dancing. I saw okay. several women that looked familiar, yeah. but I just took it as that was their hair and their, their no, what they were wearing. I, I am 99.9999998% sure that it was Miss Laura Flynn Boyle. Oh, wow. Really? If you go oh, back I and look, because they go back to her several times. It wasn't just mm-hmm. once. It was like five, six times. Actually, John Landis apparently directed that whole opening bit. But the whole thing is this documentary where they talk to B.B. King and John Landis sucks up to him and gives him kisses and says wildly inappropriate, slightly racist things. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It was, how can yeah. you tell us it's done in the mid eighties, you know, yeah. you get away with yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. But it was weird. Cause it was even as I was watching it before I, I realized it was, you know, BB King, I didn't watch the uh, special first, the music, Put a little more saxophone in it. It, it, it was all porn music. Yeah. <laughs> I told Jason, I was like, there was a, I think one of my early notes was, wow, this kind of sounds like HBO softcore porn. You're so Skinamax, you know? Skinamax. Yeah. It was Showtime After Dark. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Oh, I love how Jason knows the exact branding. <laughs> He's going to quoting titles to us. We're in trouble. Co- coming up, wait, coming up next on Showtime After Dark, 
taking it off to taking it all off. <laughs> taking it off. Taking it all off. Ooh. I'm not saying that I stayed up to two in the morning to watch that. No, or Red no. Shoe Diaries. I'm not Actually, you know, that, saying. I think that was more after my excessive <laughs> Skinamax type watching. But anyway, all right. so let's go to ratings real quick. Kevin, as our guest, on a scale of one to five, one, it sucks. You just punched the clerk in the face. You're doing time. You don't care. You hated this movie. A five being you're actually willing to abscond with this movie to some third world destination or the Caribbean or something because you love it so much. You've just stolen it. Where are you falling on this uh, spectrum of ridiculousness? Well, if I'm going with your no half seas rule. Uh, yeah, screw it. I think we changed that last time. <laughs> I, I would probably go three and a half or a four. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's just, and it was a bit of CND because when, when I sat down to watch it, you know, after I saw it was on my local cable, one of my cable channels, that's the reason I, you know, recorded it and then mentioned it to you guys. It was like, I haven't seen this thing in probably 20 years. So, and it still kind of held up. It was still just as goofy fun as, as always. Okay. So Jason, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I'd, I'd settle on a three, uh, mainly because it, it wasn't, I liked the way that they played Jeff Goldblum and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's character together. I thought that was my favorite part, as I mentioned already. Um, the cameos were fun and cool, but it wasn't anything ridiculously exciting for me. It was anything like, yeah, I got to watch this again. It, it was good. Uh, and there were parts of it that I really did like, but it wasn't anything that would have stood out in my memory if I had seen it. Uh, so I'd give it a three because I would have still watched it. I wouldn't have taken it back right away. So, okay, okay. I also fall into the three camp, uh, mainly because I like the subgenre that it's in, and honestly, the cameo overload was more than I could take. The, I, I don't <laughs> yeah. think this is a movie that I would rewatch over and over again by any stretch of imagination. But there've been too many times that I've come across a movie and I just am like, why, why, why am I even bothering? But I found it entertaining. I found it entertaining in a goofy fun 80s kind of way so yes i would fall in that three category so i would have kept it and taken it back when it was due and no harm no foul no one would have been punched and i would have been doing time <laughs> not <laughs> for right. this one anyway let's go Again ahead with the punching <laughs> and and let's go ahead gentlemen and dive directly into the movie picks you just heard the music play i didn't bother i'm adding it in post so <laughs> kevin yes what is your movie pick well i went with one that actually has a connection to four people from this film. Wow. Which probably yeah. isn't hard to do. I could have just randomly picked the movie. <laughs> That's a possibility. There's too many choices here. Uh -huh. um, no, I went with one a uh, few years afterwards, kind of knowing my love for can't be silly stuff. I went with 1987's Amazon Women of the Moon. Oh, I remember that one. I oh, love that nice. movie. Yeah, John Landis directed a bit in there. Michelle Pfeiffer's in there. So is B.B. King, Paul Bartel. You know, spoof on a 50s dumb. And I remember it because it was also reminiscent of Kentucky Fried Movie, exactly, which was yes. John Land, early John Landis, and uh, the Zucker Brothers, and and uh, Abrams, and oh yeah, it's such a good movie. God, it's hilarious. Uh, yeah, great, good pick. That, I like that a lot. Amazon <laughs> Women on the Moon. Dice nice. Jason? All right, so I kind of copped out on this because I am a Jim Henson fanboy. I almost went with Labyrinth because it was uh, David Bowie and You remind of the babe. Oh, that's true. Uh, God, why did I think about <laughs> yep. that? <laughs> but we've covered that. So I didn't want to go with that. Um, I actually went a little darker. 
I went with, and not no pun intended actually, but I went with the Dark Crystal, nice. uh, which came out a couple years before, uh, which is one of my favorite Jim Henson movies, notwithstanding the Muppets stuff, which I love the Muppets. But this to me was just sort of where he could take it if there was no Sesame Street in his Muppets, right? Like yeah. this was the the dark uh, world with, uh, evil and yep. uh, death and, mm -hmm. um, some of the cool stuff he did with the, with the puppetry of like the big striders on stilts and, uh, the hunched over, um, Oh, I forget what they're called. The, the things that the, the raised, skexies, uh, not the skexies, the good parts, the, uh, Oh, I just watched this with my kids like a month, uh, even a month ago. The, the kind of the hunched over good ones yeah, and then the, the skexies oh, evil ones. Yeah. Right. Um, those guys. so just, I love the movie and uh, what it kind of represents in his repertoire. And then when Henson was in this, which I had no idea until I saw him, um, plus he's got an awesome beard, that, you know, beard guys got to stick together. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I just love it. So 1982 dark crystal, which I own and I've watched a million times, but um, that's my pick. Very, very, very nice. My pick in an interesting twist is probably the most mainstream of the group. I picked <laughs> misery from 1990 ah. because Mr. Richard Farnsworth, who again, I think is a fantastic actor, despite the fact that he kind of has always looked 73. Uh -huh. He plays the sheriff figure that is looking for Paul Sheldon played by James Conn. If you don't know the story, it's based on a Stephen King novel about romance novelist, Paul Sheldon, who is in a car accident and he is retrieved from the snowdrift as good as dead by his number one fan, that little dirty birdie herself, Annie and Annie played by the <laughs> awesome Kathy Bates takes yes. him to her home and decides she's going to help him get back to health so that he can write another misery <laughs> novel just for her. It is fantastic. If you've never seen this movie, you will never look at kindling and sledgehammers the same way <laughs> ever again and ever. Yes, <laughs> I got to tell you, I read this book before I saw the movie because I was a big Stephen King fan. This is the first book I actually remember reading late at night and getting really scared being in the dark reading because I was at the end of the book. Yeah, which they don't really play in the movie up as well. But uh, the book, I remember actually being afraid from reading a book and yeah. it was just a, a really well it's a, done it, book. And it, the movie is great. I love the movie and it's yeah. directed by Rob Reiner. And, yep. you know, which I just can't get over the fact that Meathead was, was so <laughs> talented and, and diverse in his his ability to, you know, go from comedy, you know, this is Spino Tap, to drama with a Stand By Me, to this, and just awesome. Yeah, so, yes, nice. my pick, Misery, 1990. Jason, before you hit us with some knowledge, let me just say really quick, a special thank you to Mr. Kevin Batchelder, who <laughs> has graced us yet again. With his presence, I hope it was all you dreamed it would be. <laughs> oh, it always is. <laughs> or had, or a nightmare, whatever. Nightmare, dream, you know. Yeah, they six, they six merge one. together. Six of one. No, seriously, <laughs> thank you, man. We always love you. Have you. We always love you. We do. We always love having <laughs> yeah. you on. We and, do. And, and it's it's always fun. And the fact that you tolerate me mainly, but but us, uh, is, is, a, is either evidence of what a scholar and gentleman that you are or you're just like i said a complete masochist but either way we love you so and also of course thanks to jv for the spoiler thanks to our buddy kevin spencer for the awesome show note art 
stuff that he does that's awesome. And yep. thanks to Jason, who's about to hit you with some knowledge. <laughs> yes. Check us out on ForgottenFlicks.com. You can find almost all of our contact information there. Uh, if you'd like to join in in some more conversation, uh, hit us up on Facebook. We've actually got a group page where we talk lots of other movie stuff, even beyond the movie we're covering. Uh, and then, of course, we have our regular Forgotten Flicks page. We put up the uh, episodes and then our fantastic movie reviews uh, by our best boy, Peter, um, who does way more work than we do. But, you know, that goes without saying. So... <laughs> Well, I, so that's it. I think we can put this one to bed, my friends. And on that note, Jason, any final words? Uh, yes, I think I'm heading to Vegas because I hear there's a girl there who will do anything you want for $50 an hour. <laughs> anything? <laughs> and I mean anything. Anything? <laughs>